Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Wednesday, August 27th, 2014. That's right, we are back with another interview. A couple of people that have something on Kickstarter right now. Who's joining me on Skype tonight? Uh, this is Sean Murphy. I'm a game designer with LM Studios. And Tyler Logan, the other half of LM Studios. So Sean and Tyler are joining me tonight to talk about their project that is on Kickstarter right now. It's already active, already going. It is Super Turbo Bit Crawl FX Alpha Extreme. <gasps> had to take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> if you go out there and, and, and you find Tyler or Sean and you can uh, say that 10 times fast without taking a breath, you get a free Coke or something. I don't know. I, uh, I believe that's the deal. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're giving out Cokes. Uh, along with a button and maybe a t-shirt. <laughs> there yeah. you go. So like I warned you just before we started off, I have at least uh, kind of three warm up questions. Just kind of get us started. And then we will just go in and have our conversation about uh, what you guys are about and what the project is about. Sound good? Sounds great. Sounds good. All right. So this time we'll go. Uh, I'll start with Sean. Uh, the first question is, besides making great games, what do you do for a living, sir? Uh, I work in software development. I work on the test side and I run a test team. Another techie in the game industry field. Uh, my tally yep. is increasing every interview. <laughs> Tyler? I do sales and marketing analysis, so I crunch numbers. I math for money. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. And uh, now I'll flip it up for this next one. Tyler, we'll start with you. Since you are on a uh, standalone segment for all us geeks, we, of course, like to ask, what makes you a geek, sir? Uh, besides the fact that I'm sitting here dusting my Dalek during this interview. That is not a euphemism, by the way, people. No, 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 no. No euphemism <laughs> meant. Sorry. <laughs> I thought this was a PG podcast. I, I'll, eh, I'll keep it clean. Thir 13 maybe. Uh, well, I mean, besides board games, I would say comics, uh, steampunk fiction, trashy anime, uh, you name it, I, uh, I I tend to be into it. So, And Sean, how about you, sir? Well, like Tyler, I'm sitting in my game shrine right now. <laughs> so I have like just shelves and shelves of miniatures and games and magic cards and all this other stuff. Plus, I huge Star Wars junkie. Huge comic book collector on Spider-Man number two. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm right up there with them on the, just about all that stuff. All right. And then I'll uh, swing back to you then, Sean, for the next one. And, and the final uh, warm-up question before we kind of go into everything. One of the things that we always like to point out is that you can really geek out about anything. So one of the questions I'm always curious about is, do you have any geek-related passions, or I'm sorry, geek-level passions, that the typical person would not consider geek-related? Uh, geek-level passion that the typical person would not consider geek-related. Let me think on that one. Uh, <laughs> For instance, one of our uh, big examples, of course, is people that are, like, massively into, say, like, fantasy football. Those individuals that are kind of, like, pouring over stats, and, and basically if you switched out the stat sheet with a D&D &D character, you probably couldn't tell the difference between them. <laughs> That's usually like one of our, our big examples or like music or something like that. Or, and, and it is acceptable, and we've had many people say, you know what, I'm pretty much a geek through and through, and, and all of my passions are geek passions. So, Well, I mean, the only thing I could say is uh, 
I am big into music and to memorize a lot of the stuff that I listen to. Uh, so is Tyler. You know, I'll say that too. The only other thing is I'm kind of a soccer buff. I tend to know all the, especially World Cup life. I know who won, who has the most wins, who's up for another win, the statistics on like the fact Brazil shouldn't have lost because they <laughs> hadn't lost in like 75 years at home or something like that, you know. Nice. I do get into that pretty heavy. Too bad my co-host isn't here. He was a, a big uh, soccer fan as well. Yeah. All right, Tyler, your turn. I geek out really hard on 90s ska music. <laughs> also, old dusty philosophy books. All right, there you go. So you guys both have your day jobs that we discussed briefly. One of the things I'm always kind of curious about, I'm not, actually, before we even get to that, how about we talk about how LM Studios kind of came to be and how, how you guys kind of decided to create that first. So who would like to start with that conversation? Well, first, shorter, long version. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've got, we've got time. I've got time. I've got nowhere to be for a while. So. Uh, I have known Sean for almost 18 years, something ridiculous yeah. like that. So we've been hanging out for about the last 15 of those. Uh, we've always, you know, played games, you know, mainly tabletop role playing together. Uh, a lot of White Wolf, some Shadowrun. Also a lot of miniatures. And, uh, and a lot of miniatures gaming as well. And about four years ago or so, we decided to, you know, kind of give back to what we've been enjoying doing for the majority of our lives. So we started LM Studios officially formed in 2012. We've been working on games ever since. I guess that's the the abbreviated version of how it came to be. Yeah, because what I didn't tell you is probably about a, a year before we decided to go with games, we were saying, yeah, we wanted to start our own business. We wanted to do something that we enjoyed doing instead of stuff that you're doing for other people. And we batted around, I don't know, probably 20, 30 ideas. And it always ended up back at games <laughs> or something similar. So we just kind of went, okay, we're going to go that route. Stop, stop fighting it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That kind of leads into a question that I usually like to ask. Let's see if we can pinpoint the, the one curiosity I always have is, you know, you guys have been friends for a long time and you've played a lot of games together. And then somewhere along the lines, you batted around a bunch of ideas, but you knew you wanted to start a company of some type. Is there a moment for either both of you or or each of you individually where you consciously knew, I enjoy playing games, sure, but I want to be, I definitely want to be on the other side of the game and, and be in the business slash industry side of, of gaming. Sean, I'll start with you. I'll just say that, and Tyler knows this, when Tyler met me, I had another game company. So I had that realization probably shortly out of college because I had been playing games since I was, well, I think I got introduced to D&D in Boy Scouts when I was like 10 years old, you know, at camping. And then I got introduced to Car Wars, and then it just kind of went on from there and been playing games pretty much my entire life. And at some point out of college, I was in a big gaming group, and I kind of brought it up to a couple of them that I wanted to try to write my own role-playing game. We did that for a while, but didn't know a lot about the industry, so made a lot of mistakes, didn't get anywhere. <laughs> so when Tyler and I were talking and kept coming back to games, yeah, it just kind of made sense for me, but I was already kind of there in that manner. <laughs> so when you were creating that role-playing game then, was I mean, was that a lot of us kind of dabble in the, you know, almost every gamer has those two two things that they always say, right? Well, I can create a game and I can run a game store. 
(laughs) Usually neither one of them are actually that accurate, but (laughs) so it sounds like you were kind of in your, I can, I can create a game phase. At what point did it click with you enough to go, you know what? I'm serious about this. Well, I'm going to say when, because we actually did uh, the con circuit for what about two years, and that's when actually Tyler and I started really hanging out because he went with us, and I was good at it. Uh, I was really good at, at showing games and teaching people games and getting people excited about games, and then that just kind of got me more excited, especially when it's your own idea that you're you're pitching. So it kind of got me to go, yeah, no, this is what I want to do. This is something that I think I need to at least put out a couple games just to be happy in my life. So, Tyler, how about you? Do you have a, a spot that you can kind of pinpoint where you decided to go from I enjoy and play games as a gamer to, you know what, let me be on the business side of gaming? Well, <laughs> I would be lying if I didn't say that that didn't happen after we had already started making games. So <laughs> the the first time at uh, Gen Con uh, in the first Exposure Playtest Hall, that would have been what 2012 like right after yep. we formed as a company we had already we had already made a couple of games and just watching people enjoying themselves while playing something that you know I made was really really cool <laughs> and I wanted to keep doing that like I just wanted to keep bringing that level of excitement and that level of joy to complete strangers cuz I think it's cool it sounds like I, I- kind of already know the answer to this, it sounds like, or or you've shared it a little bit, but if you can expand on it a little bit, it sounds like Super Turbo Bitcrawl is not like your first game. Like you've had other things going on prior to this Kickstarter. Are those games that are still in the works or can, can you kind of Maybe tell me a little bit about your early years, I guess, for LM Studios. Sure. Well, we developed three games to take into the playtest hall that first year. Two of them were abstract strategy games, and they did much better than the third one, which is getting retooled as we speak. Uh, <laughs> and that's putting it nicely. <laughs> yes, it uh, it kind of floundered a bit, but we put it on the back burner and and moved forward. Uh, we do have two abstract strategy games that we developed just kind of as a as a test basically to to each of us to see if we could develop a game that couldn't hide behind a theme that was mechanically strong because obviously, you know, Super Turbo Bitcrawl FX Alpha Extreme is is very theme heavy. Uh <laughs> so <laughs> Before getting into the heavy thematic games, we wanted to see if we could make a game that could stand on its uh, on its mechanics alone. And I'm, you know, super proud of the way that both of them came out. We do small runs of those, typically either sell them direct or through Etsy or Amazon, Amazon fulfillment. Yep. Nothing, you know, they they're an on again, off again product for us as far as availability wise. But you know, we'll we'll continue to support them because. Sean will attest to this. We can't stand it when a game that we really want to play goes out of print. So, (laughs) so, you know, anything that LM Studios puts out will be available going. Yeah. If anybody wants some Cornopia miniatures, let me know. Speaking of out of print games. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So are, are both of you guys in Indianapolis or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I've talked to a few teams, but it's, it's rare that I get to actually interview teams. It's usually uh, a solo person or maybe the, the publisher that's kind of taken over, uh, and is running the Kickstarter and all that good stuff. 
And especially right now, I'm super curious, and it's a question on the forefront of my mind because I'm currently collaborating with somebody. So how do you guys find collaborating versus solo design? Have you run into any bumps uh, because you're collaborating versus uh, just handling the whole thing yourself? And have you found any things that you really enjoy because it's more than one person working on it? Well, what I'm going to say is um, I think Tyler and I get lucky. Uh, in, what, four years, we've had one minor disagreement that lasted, I think, two days, three days, and then we figured out how to come to a agreement on it. So we, we've kind of gotten lucky in that manner. But I think on the collaboration, one of us always is the lead on a game, kind of like the main designer. And the other one, the bonus is when you when you stare at something too long, you're not objective anymore. And you, and you like kind of like get trapped into a box. So the having the other person just to go, I'm having trouble with this part of the system, and I can't make it the way I want it. Here's how I want it, and then then be able to throw out ideas. I think can really spark you out of that box. And you know, Tyler can speak that I know on uh, Super Turbo Pitcrawl, which Tyler was the lead on. There was a couple times that he would just go, I'm having trouble with this, and I throw something out. He'd go away for a week, come back, and have something that was part of what I said, but he'd add stuff to it and it would just totally take the game to another level. So I think that to me has been uh, a helpful on when no matter what game we're working on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always great to have like a built-in sounding board. I love my wife very much, but she can only stand me talking about my game, you know, incessantly for so long. So <laughs> to have someone there that I could go, Hey, you know, and someone that's just as familiar with the product, I guess, you know, if you want to call it that, you know, it's, it's great to have. And yeah, I mean, we, we both design games. We just, we, we definitely take a, this person's the lead and they're going to go off and, you know, do what you would typically expect of a game designer. But then before we even take those prototypes in front of someone, they've probably been revised two or three times just by having, you know, that, that other co-creator there. So would either of you, cause it sounds like you guys, obviously, I mean, you formed a company together and you've been friends for, for a long time and, and you've done a lot of collaboration so far, but would either of you be interested in a potential collaboration with somebody else? Or are, are you like, well, th- this works. Let's not break it. <laughs> I, don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I think there are, there are areas where that would probably work for both of us because Tyler is more in the, Certain games that I'm I'm not as familiar with, I don't like playing them, so they're they're harder for me to necessarily help them with them. And I think I have some games he's not the biggest fan of. So I think that's where we probably look at that. You know, I mean, because on games that we both are passionate and we both love, I think we work well together. I think it, it'll become a problem if you know, not to say the games, but like if I ever want to bring on a deck building game, Tyler's not the biggest fan of deck building games, so that might be good, but it also might make it to where he doesn't want to listen to me, kind of like this, like you said about his wife, right? <laughs> I don't want to hear about that deck building game anymore. So I, I think that's where we probably look at collaboration. But also, you know, we've met some designers that a uh, whole group collaboration might be fun as well. Mm-hmm. So, Tyler, what do you what do you say? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really all depends on the game. Uh, Sean and I work very well together. I mean, I'm I'm open to the idea, but you know, I mean, nothing's nothing's come up yet to where it's ever actually had to be a topic of discussion. And in my defense, Star Realms is not horrible. <laughs> yeah, you just finally like, find like, I, I think I just walked into a debate. I wasn't. I, I didn't know it was existing. <laughs> no, no, he he sound like two. I mean, but it's the same thing. Like he's like, he likes resource management games. I'm not the biggest fan of those, so <laughs> I think he found one or two of those that I can stomach. So it, you know, 
I play a lot of Star Realm, so watch it. <laughs> Online though, I do I do the digital. I've yet to play the physical version. <laughs> yeah, we just got to play it four days ago. Yeah, Saturday at the demo day. The the physical version. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think of the? Have you played the digital version? I have. Yeah. Which do you prefer? Uh, honestly, because I'm playing the digital version on my iPhone, I prefer the physical because I can actually read the cards yeah. and don't have to click on each one. <laughs> but if I were playing it like on a tablet or something, it would probably be kind of equal. Like it doesn't bother me having the cards. I kind of like having things to hold and you know planning that way. But yeah, I, I say they're equivalent. Yeah, one doesn't seem better or worse than the other. I've been curious because I I have the physical version. I just haven't been able to play it yet, but I'm constantly playing the digital version. And the one thing that always makes me wonder if I would like the physical version is when you really start getting into the math, like when you do like a 48 point points of damage (laughs) and having to count that up versus the tablet telling me, hey, you just did 48 points of damage makes me curious. (laughs) But Jeff, I'm asked for money. It's <laughs> well, that is, that is true. That's that's. Uh, I, I may be asking the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you guys are both potentially up for other collaborations if something kind of strikes your fancy, and it may not be something that the other person is interested in. It's one of those things I've just kind of been curious about, especially since now I've, I've kind of started doing collaboration a little bit now. I've been asked quite a few times, and I've always turned most things down because of time, but this one, like the theme just hit me, and I was like, ooh, I, I think I'm in. <laughs> so now suddenly, whenever I get to talk to somebody that's collaborating, I'm like, hey, what, do, what do, how are things going for you? <laughs> So thanks for uh, indulging me in that for a yeah, second. Yeah, no problem. You should also ask Jason Tagmeyer because he's working with uh, McIver on, I think I horribly butchered Adam's last name there, <laughs> on a very neat little project. So yeah. And uh, uh, Jason Katarski and, and Philip Dabari have, uh, you know, Fidelitas out right now on Kickstarter yeah. and all that, all that good stuff. Yeah, so I've talk, talked to those guys off and on, too. You've got LM Studios and you've produced some games in the past. And I've got a couple questions in my head right now. I think the first one I want to kind of ask is, are you kind of looking at Super uh, Turbo Bitcrawler to kind of be the, I want to say launching point, but that's the wrong thing because I know you guys have done other games. But are you looking this to be kind of your your big into the industry to maybe get a, a, a little more foundation? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh it's definitely going to be, you know, this is our first universe. We've got like three different places that we're going to set games. And the Bitcrawl world is one of them. Uh, hopefully by Gen Con next year, we'll be showing the second one. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's, I don't want to call it our flagship. Right. But That's what I was trying is, to avoid too. <laughs> yeah. This is the yeah. first one out the gate. This will, I mean, this will be the one that people will look back and go, Oh, that was their first game. Yeah, it wasn't, but you know. Yeah. It, it, it was the first one with mass appeal is probably the best way to put that. I think uh, that's the way to put it. At least I like to think it might have mass appeal. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, our first two games as Tyler said were abstract strategy. And those just, they have loyal market, but it's also a niche market. Not everybody loves abstract strategy, you yeah. know? Yeah. So you, you're going to do a slow build on those, you know, unless you're Pentago and somehow explode. But those are so <laughs> rare. You know, we kind of knew that that wasn't something that we were going to push really heavy. And this is the first one that we said, you know what, most gamers are going to like this. So let's push it. (laughs) What'd you say? I said, or at least some, maybe not most, but at least some. (laughs) 
Oh, you were at Gen Con with me, weren't you? <laughs> yes, we, yes, okay. We couldn't move out of the booth. And... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you guys just, uh, lucky bastards got back from Gen Con. Um, <laughs> hey, we invited you so in the At least I did. Yeah. So, well, some of us, some of us went to Gen Cant instead. Um, <laughs> how was that? I mean, I know you've, you've done like, you, you talked about doing the first uh, exposure hall and stuff like that in the past, but how was this compared going in? Because, I mean, you, you went in, you knew you, you, you know, the, the Kickstarter was going to be there, uh, and, and that you were going to be pushing this game, uh, a bit more, maybe. And maybe not. Then you have in, in some past games. So how was this Gen Con experience for you guys for, for Super uh, Turbo Bitcraw? I'm not saying the whole name every damn time. I'm sorry. All right. No, you just call it Bitcraw. You just call it Bitcraw. That's, yeah. That's why Bitcraw Pocket is just Bitcraw Pocket. Yeah. You know? I, before the interview is over, it will I will have the full name out one more time, at least one I mean, more you time. You could just but. say STBC and have- you yeah, know, yeah, that, that's so I'm much easier. I'm the only one that can really say that, so I'm just going <laughs> to point that one out. This Gen Con was, I'm going to say going into it, we were probably both apprehensive because, you know, you're putting a lot into your first con, especially Gen Con. You know, when it's when it's Gen Con, you've got to show up. And like I said, I had a previous company, Tyler's. We, we did other cons before we did our first Gen Con, so we kind of got practice. And Tyler and I just more or less went around to every local game store we had to practice. <laughs> Um, and so we were kind of going in, I would say, with a little, uh, nervousness, but the con was, I don't know, it was, it was the, I've been to going to Gen Con since 87. This was the craziest Gen Con I've ever seen. And we, we had our booth there, which just kind of took it to a whole other level in my head because, you know, I don't know if you've seen the numbers, but they just blew the records out of the water. And Thursday was as busy as Saturday, which yeah, I've yeah. never seen. Yeah. It was just kind of a, a crazy busy con. And, Great people. Everybody we met were, were good people. We had a lot of good time um, playing it and uh, running our game. And I think we ran two or three after hours full run throughs because you only do the demo in the in the booth. Right. So for me, it was just I think we couldn't have asked for much better. Tyler, you got anything? No, I mean I I was kind of beside myself uh, for most of Gen Con. It was just it was crazy seeing all of these people uh, really digging Bitcrawl. Um, I mean, we had it in front of like over 500 people before this, but you know, when 10 people in a room go, yeah, that was pretty awesome. You know, it, it's a lot different than having, you know, thousands of people over the course of four days tell you, Hey, this is really cool. It was like, Oh, okay. This is completely different than, you know, uh, what I thought it was going to be, but having the booth was nuts uh i couldn't speak for like three days after gen con because i was basically screaming at people the entire time uh just to get yeah. over the ambient noise uh but it was i mean it was awesome a lot of our a lot of people that play tested it last year when we were there in the playtest hall stopped by the booth you know they saw the big pixelated gen from you know 20 feet away and they're like hey it's those guys <laughs> So they stopped by and, you know, it was, it was great. We got to meet people that we've been meeting through the whole design process of the game. So it was, it was really, really cool. And, and not only that, I mean, Tyler brings up the people that were at the uh, playtest hall last year, but we had people come back from the 2012 playtest hall because of the other two games and get, you know, people come running up because they see one of them sitting on our table and go, I know that game. <laughs> I played that game. And that was also really just 
you know, cool to, to, to go through. You have these people who remember you from two years ago from a game that, you know, like we said, are small runs and not really, you know, the one that we're, we're pushing at that given point because we didn't have anything for the other games behind us. We had everything for Bitcrawl behind us. Right. And that, so that was, I don't know, that was another just really, really neat thing that, that happened during the, the convention and go you know, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I can't think of anything bad to say about it. It was just, uh, it was, you know, then you're lucky you got your copy. That's what I will say. Tyler knows that. We had our, our first run of Bitcoin Pocket, mm-hmm. and we had so many set aside for, you know, press and everybody else. And we sold, uh, I think the majority of those as well as <laughs> the ones we brought to sell. So it was, it was a, it was a fun con for sure. Did you guys find that were you as prepared as you thought you would be to going to Gen Con from? Say like the, the first exposure hall to having a booth. Cause I mean, that, that's a pretty big leap for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, we were, <laughs> <laughs> we were prepared at least physically, maybe, you know, Sean more so than me mentally for it. Uh, the running the, uh, the launching the Kickstarter the day before Gen Con, that was pretty crazy. <laughs> like, I mean, just. Because I'm sitting there, you know, Thursday and Friday trying to respond to all these messages and doing updates and, you know, constantly interacting with the Kickstarter while interacting with this massive crowd of people. And it was just like, oh, I (laughs) there were a couple of times I felt like I was drowning, but, you know, made it through, had a great time. So it it helps, too, that you guys have been there quite a few times before, even if not in the booth capacity. I mean, I think for for me, the bonus is I've done a few cons before, so I kind of I kind of knew what we were getting into. <laughs> so that's why I was, I was probably a little more mentally prepped. I think uh, both of us were nervous about the Kickstarter because, you know, and, and just, you know, you have to support it well. But mm-hmm. you know, we heard from a lot of the industry that it's a bad idea to run a Kickstarter in Gen Con. <laughs> But then we're at the con, and, and the cool part was we're having all these people going, I think it was a great idea because you started it right before the con, and that gives me a month to recover from what I'm going to spend here. <laughs> because the bad idea is when you're halfway through it or you're at the end of it. Yeah. Because I, then i got to spend my con money, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah, end is definitely horrible. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, and, and it was good to get the, that kind of back when we're sitting there running that and, you know, had heard that that might have been a bad idea, but it for us, it worked out, you know, so. I think when it's, when it is a bad idea is if you are a solo individual trying to do Gen Con promotion and watch the Kickstarter, kind of like what Tyler was talking about. I mean, having right. that scramble for, you know, responding to everybody and, and checking up on the project and all that stuff. You guys had two people. You, you were able to kind of tag team on that. Versus, I think it is a bad idea if you are a solo individual. Don't try to do both. Either launch right after Gen Con or something like that. Use Gen Con as your promotion. Uh, but I think if you've got a partner, it's not as bad and it actually can work out pretty well. Oh, uh, yeah. we actually had two other people also helping us in the booth. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and none of us really got right to ever leave the booth. So. <laughs> So, I mean, th- there is some validity to the whole, you know, watch out for Gen Con thing, but I think it, if planned properly, it, it's a feasible thing to do. And, and if you have the extra help. <laughs> yeah. And, we, and the reason we took the gamble was we just like, where, where else are you going to get 60 some odd thousand people? You know, where else are you going to get that kind of exposure? Yeah. And one of the reasons you know. I, I kind of asked about your preparedness is like last year, I thought I, and this was, I thought this was kind of cool. And, and I guess previous times I've been, I hadn't had anybody, of course, back when I was really attending, 
Uh, I was one booth monkeying all the time and two Kickstarter wasn't a thing yet. But like last year I was walking around brand new designers because, and, and their entire thing was I really needed to check out Gen Con before I come here next year with my game. And I thought that was actually kind of a cool thing. And it was like smart on like these two or three designers that I, I was walking around and introducing to people and kind of saying, yeah, here, here's what's going on for them to do that. So, you know what? I, this first year is all out of my pocket and help me figure what out what's going on so that next year I walk in the door and I kind of know what I, I've got going on. So I thought that was kind of a cool deal. Well, yeah, I need to bring that up. It's, it's not even first year designers that the, our booth mates have been in the industry for 18 years. They've never been to Gen Con. They've been going to buyer shows and trade shows, but not a, a consumer show. And I think they were in more shape than Tyler by like the second day. It's how they lost his voice, but they weren't used to having to talk that much. You know, they weren't used to having that kind of noise and people getting excited and, and, and they, they were just kind of blown away. But they, the owner said, I wish I'd have known about this 18 years ago. It's like, if this is, this is how you drive the people into the retail stores. I mean, you're, you're great because you're getting into the retail stores, but this is how you drive them there. And they weren't prepared. So. I think I've got two questions that I've still kind of got in my head, and then I want to kind of do the flip a little bit here. So the first one is, you know, you guys have been uh, working together and collaborating and doing other games prior to this one as well, or in conjunction with this one. Do you guys have a design process that you follow, or does, is it dependent upon game? Tyler, I haven't heard from you in a little bit. How about you? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Or you can pass it off. That's that's up to you, but I just well, want to get the ball rolling. No, I mean, mine's <laughs> just a little weird, and Sean yells at me every time for it. But basically, <laughs> I uh, I develop a game, then I throw it out, and then I redesign it, and then I do that two more times. Then I might show it to my wife, and she'll go, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> and then I'll pretty it up and spend all of this extra time and then present a prototype that's about uh, one or two steps removed from a production proof. Uh, and then Sean gets angry at me if I bark about, you know, having to change things <laughs> because I've spent all of this time and effort developing art assets on a game that may or may not be crap. <laughs> then on the opposite side, I show up with a, a baggie and some paper cuts inside of it and say, here's the game I'm thinking about. And it, you know, looks like someone made it at lunchtime because I probably did. <laughs> and and I throw out really early to Tyler, here's what I'm thinking and here's where I'm going. And I get him, I know, I, I like to get feedback early because I don't like to spend the time on it if, if I've already got flawed thinking, I guess is the way to put it. <laughs> and then um, where does, uh, this is kind of a continuation of that one. This isn't my second question yet. So this is, this is one point B or something like that. Where does like play testing and do you guys use blind play testing? Where do those kind of fall into your processes? I'm going to say we don't blind play test and we've talked about it, but our issue is, is, is we get more from watching the reactions mm -hmm. than we do necessarily from the feedback. Cause you ever ask people to write stuff down or to feedback, you get two types of people. You get the people who don't want to hurt your feelings, <laughs> but they're not that honest. Or you get the people that are going, ooh, I get to give my opinion. And then you just get how they would design a game that actually has nothing to do with your game. <laughs> so you get that. And then every once in a while, you get the one that actually gives you feedback you want. But if you watch how they play the game and you can see, oh, they're having fun. Oh, they seem to struggle with this. You get a lot more out of that. So we, we don't really blind play test. But I'd say on play test, we kind of probably go overboard, which we didn't know until. When did you start asking, Tyler? About a month ago, two months ago? About a month or two ago. Asking, yeah, he started asking the driver, so how much do you play test? And they would tell us, you know, 30, maybe, maybe 50. 
and we're sitting here counting going, we've had it in front of 500 people. Okay, we might have gone overboard. <laughs> but I think it helps us. I mean, I don't know, Tyler can speak to it, but I think it helps us carrying it around and playing it with anybody and everybody who will. I don't think it's bad to show it to as many people as possible and stuff. And, you know, part of blind playtesting isn't necessarily handing it off to you know, complete strangers that you're not around for, uh, sometimes, and I've done this for a few people as well. It's, uh, especially at like protospiel events where it's like, here, take the game, take the rules. I'm going to sit in the corner. I'm not going to tell you how to play it. I'm just going to watch what happens and see if you understand one, understand my rule book, two, can figure out how to play the game. And three, like you were saying, watch reactions and what's going on during the game. We've also like utilized people that have played the game before. And then give them a copy so that they can take it and play it with people and let us know how that turned out. So it's not always, you know, us having to be in the room watching and observing. Uh, we've done a little bit of, we've done a little bit of that as well, just to, just to see how it plays when we're not there because we don't want to be testing in a vacuum. So. Well, we also don't want it that the designer has to be in the box. Right. Right. You know, that, that's, that's a fear with any game is that one of the designers has to be there to make it fun. Right. Yeah. I've actually had somebody tell me that. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, well, you know, uh, if you would have played it with a designer, they could have told you all the things that you can't figure out from the rules. It's like, no, that's, that's not a way to, to design it and publish a game because they're not going to be in the box. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a pet peeve answer of mine too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. We've even done like you said, we have, I mean, one of the coolest things we had was, uh, we, we helped with the grand opening of a local game store and we'd already given them a demo copy of Pocket and we're running demos and we look up and all of a sudden there's another table playing our game <laughs> that we didn't start. And we're, we're both just looking at each other like, and it was the game store just started a game with other people who were waiting. And that was really just a, I don't know, I'd call it surreal <laughs> at that moment when you look up and someone else is playing your game without you yeah. being the one who instigated it. So my second question that uh, I had in my head, and, and it's pounding against my temple to make sure I ask it, do you guys, uh, for L LM Studios, are you strictly looking for uh, your own designs and, and that's what you're going to publish through LM Studios, or are you looking to potentially be like a full-blown publisher in the aspect of taking on other people's designs and, and taking it through the process? I'm definitely letting you feel that one, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now, obviously, our, our primary focus is BitCrawl. We are open to the idea of taking other designers through the, the production process and being like a full-blown publisher. Uh, right now, it's, you know, it's just we've decided to self-publish our games for, I don't want to say I'm a control freak, but there, there's, <laughs> there's, there's certain elements that you get control over when you do it yourself. Right. You know, that that you have to give up if you take it to a publisher, especially if it's your first game out of the box. I mean, if we were established designers, then we could go, no, you can't change the theme. No, I don't want you to change that mechanic. But being the first time out of the box, doing it ourselves is really, you know, the 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 best approach for us. And then as far as picking up, you know, other developers that want that full control element or, you know, at least most full control, then, you know, I'm completely for looking at that in the future. You know, usually I also, I, I, I tend to ask like where people fall on the, 
publishing spectrum of, you know, is it a necessary evil to get my game out and all that stuff. But Tyler, I, I think I already know your answer since you uh, are, are uh, a lover of math anyway. I don't, I don't think you are really intimidated at all by the publishing side of things and, and crunching numbers and all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. But I mean, it, it, it more goes to bringing out the product that I envisioned and Sean envisioned, you know, it, it, yep. it's, it's, it's not so much the we're trying to keep the profits in house or anything. It's, it's a, uh, we're not intimidated by the publishing side of it. The manufacturing side of it doesn't scare us off at all. And it goes back to that control element and being able to bring out exactly what you had in your head to bring out. Right. Yep. Yep. I'd agree with them on that. And, and the thing is, you know, Todd does math for a little bit, so do I, because I do accounting software. I'm probably the one that drives him crazy on the math side because I'm constantly <laughs> telling him, yeah, that, we won't ever be able to sell that game for the price we'd have to. <laughs> and we have to go back to the drawing board and figure out. But we want to keep, like you said, that vision. That's our big thing is, is we come up with, here's how I want the game to look. We don't ever want to have to give up on that. We want to put out the game the way we want it to look. And when you start going to big manufacturers, you know, they, they, a lot of times they want you to kind of go with the stock stuff they have, and that might not fit in what you want. They might never have done what you're asking them to do. And so we, I think we pride ourselves on thinking outside the box to get our game out the way we want it to come out. So we, uh, I think for us, it is the control element. You know, I have no problem owning it that Tyler and I both want to, put out the game that we want to put out, not the game that is a facsimile of what we wanted to put out. And then have to later come out with another edition to get it to what we wanted it to be. Okay. Which we also both have pet peeves on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, I think this is a definitely a good point. We've, uh, I, I mean, I, asking you guys all kinds of questions and I'm enjoying the conversation, but I want to make sure we get this in. So this is the point where I'm going to ask one of you to go ahead and give your elevator pitch for Super Turbo Bit Crawl FX Alpha Extreme. <laughs> Who wants to go for it? I'd say this probably falls on me, don't you think, Sean? Um, I'm thinking it falls on you. I mean, I can do it. But I'm <laughs> I'll do it. Uh, Super Turbo Bit Crawl FX Alpha Extreme is a one to eight player JRPG-inspired dungeon crawler. Uh, it does not require a DM to play. All of the characters have a incredibly high level of customization out of the box. Essentially, you can play as 24 different clerics or witch doctors or berserkers or knights. It's all designed for replayability and the dungeon, as you're progressing through it, uh, scales based on the level that you currently are. You go from level one through five. It also scales based on the number of players playing. And the boss that you fight at the end of the dungeon has the exact same customization that the characters do. So the, out of the box, there are 24 different elder dragons or 24 different demon lords for you to possibly face. <laughs> That's not including the day one DLC expansion. So hopefully we can get that stretch goal unlocked and make that number 60 instead of 24. What was the decision behind making this the game that you brought to Kickstarter? I'm going to say, so this game was brought to Kickstarter because, like, so we brought the first two. And then we both went off and came up with ideas. And we went with the one that, how about it, it was the farthest along. The person had the most inspiration for at the time and was definitely a game that fit the gaming industry and tyler was to say he was crazy inspired for this <laughs> game it is is so an understatement beyond belief he just it, it, that when the idea struck him it, it, he just was going non-stop at it so <laughs> i think it was you know that whole strike when the iron's hot 
right? He's got an idea. It's a good idea. It's something that people are going to enjoy. And, you know, it's something he had a passion for. So I don't think we had a... I don't think it was a hard decision for us to make to go with that game and shelf the other ones we were talking about. You're only looking for $5,000, which you're already uh, funded and working towards stretch goals. So congratulations for that, guys. Thank you. Thank you. What went into the, the process of bringing a one to eight player game with the amount of components you could? How did you know you could come in at, at 5,000 and be okay? Well, I mean, we, when we went through and, and mapped it out, we did it based on where our final numbers were going to come in as far as uh, you know at 5000 we knew that we had to go to this printer for this this printer for this the components will be here you know i'll be stickering all the dice myself um that that kind of stuff uh if we hit further along then we can you know get more and more of the components less and less hands on for us so yeah oh. and you know that number obviously has some of our own personal money in the back end of it as well. So, I mean, 5,000 alone probably would not do a full production run of Super Turbo Bitcrawl FX Alpha Extreme. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, you, you, I think as a publisher, especially, you kind of have to go, okay, well, here is what we need. So how much is it okay for us to ask for from friends, family, playtesters, and complete strangers compared to what we can pony up ourselves? So and in, we're willing in, to risk ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. And and you know, like I kinda said we map a ton, you know, like we both do it for a living when it comes down to it. So we we probably, you know, to get the game where it was and, and you know, Tyler can attest probably driving him crazy to to a point of wanting to shoot me. Um we 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 went back to a lot of different designs looking for other ways to get stuff, other manufacturers, other printers. So none of none of the things I think we're doing were for choice, but we stayed again with the design that we wanted and just got it to where it was doable, kept us in our price point, kept us to where we wanted it. And then that made it easy for us to figure out, okay, here's how much we're willing to put forth. Here's the size run we want to do. So we at least need to ask for, oh, we won't ask for this much. And then if we ask for that much, who we have to go with to get where we need to be. So I guess it's a bonus that both of us doing math for a living is we're not afraid of that part of it. So did you guys do anything special leading up to launch? I mean, I know you launched just as Gen Con was starting and you had your booth and all stuff. And obviously that was uh, did very well for you. But did you do anything leading up to the launch to kind of... Uh, do some extra promotion to get people ready and excited about this Kickstarter coming up. Uh, well, we did, uh, basically this, this campaign has been a lot of grassroots. I mean, we've, we started with, you know, collecting email addresses for people that were really into it last year at, at Gen Con when we, when we first were. I mean, we had it in the playtest hall last year in 2013 and, and we collected a mailing list and we've been in contact with them and, you know, just putting it in front of as many people that will possibly look at it since then to now, it, it, it put us in a, a really good jumping off point. And then the extra, obviously the Gen Con exposure was, was great. Just being able to get in front of all of these fans or potential fans was amazing for us personally and for the Kickstarter. So I think we also did, we've been running demo days at our local friendly local game stores for since like May and doing 
doing all we can to promote it and they're getting grassroots. But also the thing Tyler won't tell you is he became a Twitter uh, master Hardly. in the matter of, in the matter of months because you know neither one of us are big social media guys and and we quickly learned we're going to have to learn about social media and I will apologize to anybody who you know because I'm supposed to be doing the web so if, if uh, I'm working on getting the mastery like Tyler did on Twitter. <laughs> Um, but you know, that, that also helps because he, he built a good following there to help us get some mass publicity out there and, and even drive people to those demo days at the local game stores to get more people interested and looking and then, you know, getting them to talk about it. So I think, I think it was, yeah, like I said, a lot of grassroots, but it was a lot of different stuff, different stuff we tried. Yeah, that's, I mean, you, you just can't discount social media these days by any means, especially for prepping for a, a Kickstarter and, and making sure you've got people ready to go when you launch, uh, not, not attempting to discover you later. Uh, yeah. in fact, I've got, uh, I've, I've got a potential client coming over this weekend, actually. And that was, that's the big thing that we're going to talk about is the fact that they don't have a social media plan and they're not really on anything yet. And they're talking about still launching it this year and, and, and all that good stuff. And you can't underestimate what you need to do before you launch. All right. So, uh, I, I've, I've got a, a couple more questions that I want to make sure I, I uh, ask you guys before we wrap for sure here. Uh, first one I'll ask is, do you guys have any lessons other than what we just talked about? Uh, that you've learned about the Kickstarter process that you'd like to share for others coming up behind you. Yeah, you hear all the things that no publicity, you know, is bad publicity. <laughs> on Kickstarter, I, I wouldn't go there. You know, <laughs> I think we did some things early on just what we allowed to get on the Kickstarter that we probably should have been a little more critical on. So, I mean, I'd say that's a big one. Watch what you're presenting and, and try to put yourself out of you just being excited that someone's talking about it. <laughs> try to put yourself as I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Did this do anything to make me want? to look at them deeper. Is it really telling me anything? Is it really getting me excited? Because I think that was, uh, we made a couple little mistakes in the beginning on that, that we weren't really looking at it from that perspective. And I think that's important. Tyler, you have anything you want to add? Unless you have three very competent people around you, do not try and run a Kickstarter campaign while running a booth at Gen Con. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Because you will go crazy. Uh, No, I mean, all in all, I, I think going in with a strong support network, be it people that are around you, friends, family, whatever, uh, it's going to it's going to take a lot out of you. I mean, there there are truckloads of up and downs. You know, every time a backer cancels a pledge, I, I feel this pain in my stomach like I've done something horribly wrong. And I sit and agonize over whatever I just said. <laughs> so, I mean, it's. Uh, you know, just make sure that you have people to keep you grounded because it is basically a roller coaster for as long as you're running that campaign. And I, I would say going back to you asked us about where we got the money, you know, the figure is don't, I think we've, we've looked and kind of did a lot of study before we did Kickstarter. Don't go crazy on that figure you asked for, right? Be reasonable about it. You know, yeah, ask for enough that you can put, put it out and you can, you can fulfill everything. But we see a lot of people that we look at and go, but I don't think that would cost that much to put out. Why are they asking for that much? Because I think that that can hurt you in the long run. You could probably get there if you ask for less and just run a good Kickstarter campaign. And that's one of the things I kind of talk about off and on with various people as well. I'm never upset if somebody's running a Kickstarter for a higher level, if that's truly what they need. But it, it always, that's always usually one of the first things somebody's going to attempt to calculate, especially if they've been on Kickstarter for a while. 
Or they're going to compare you to a comparable Kickstarter that they've seen before and go, well, why are you asking for 10, 15, 20,000 more than somebody else? So it's, it's always one at, you know, ask for what you need. Uh, but kind of like what you guys were talking about too is you, not only did you run the numbers and, and make sure you knew what your numbers were because you guys like numbers, <laughs> but you also went in and, and kind of said, okay, well, you know, what can we afford to kick in? And, and I think that's important. I think. That's something that maybe not everybody does, uh, but I think you should be willing to. I mean, if if you're going to put it up, yeah, you may not have the most money in the world, but you need to figure out that you're willing to put something in to this creation that you supposedly really want out in the world, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of those conversations I have off and on all the time. That and the first timer that is looking for twenty twenty five thousand, 25000 kind of go, do you have a game that you may only need? Five thousand four? Why don't you start with that one? That kind of stuff too. Uh, well, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. that element, and you know, whenever I see ones uh, that are asking for just an exorbitant amount of money, it's like, what kind of production run are you planning? <laughs> like, I mean, do you think you're going to need twenty thousand copies of your game? <laughs> yeah, do you really think you're going to sell twenty thousand copies? Do you have a big warehouse? Because <laughs> yeah. that's that's hard to sell. You, you, when you're first time out the door, you know, if you're Steve Jackson, sure, you can, you can say, I'm going to do car wars and I'm going to do a, you know, 20,000 run because he's going to sell it. But a first time game designer, you're probably not selling more than a few thousand, you know, on your first run. So be modest about it. Don't, don't get over exuberant. And, you know. And as a side note, Jeff, if you haven't noticed, that's the second time Sean has mentioned car wars during this interview. <laughs> I love man car, wars, his car with guns. <laughs> you know, I was uh, always very intrigued by car wars, but it was kind of on the way out. Like it was harder to find when I really got interested in it. So the closest I came was the damn card game. Well, I'll tell you this, Tyler knows I have every version of car wars he's put out, including the one he's re-putting out right now. And I'm really hoping it's going to be in a Ziploc bag like it was originally when I bought it, and I'll buy it again. <laughs> Even though I still have it, I'll buy it again because I I do love that game. He is right. That's one of that's like one of my first loves in gaming was Car Wars. Awesome. All right, so uh, here is a question I like to ask as well. Let's say somebody was listening to this and they happen to to pause and go over and check out the Kickstarter page, and they're looking at it and they go, "This this might be a game for me, but I'm just I'm not not quite sure." What are a couple things that you would tell them to go, you know what? You're absolutely right. I have to back this project right now. Uh, uh, do you like hex-based dungeons? Do you have yourself to seven friends and you would like to play Tales of Symphonia as a group? I mean, it, it really is a, uh, if you're into JRPGs, uh, it was designed as a love letter to that genre. I mean, it's, uh, it's all about if you dilute down just that last epic dungeon crawl to the big boss at the end of the game, that's what we've tried to capture, uh, with this game. And then still giving that level of customization, uh, to the individual characters. So every time you feel, every time you play it, it feels different. But if you hate pixel art, then it might not be the game for you. <laughs> Well, and, and I'm going to say, and this is a compliment, Tyler, not to blow his, blow his head up any bigger, but this game came out in a way that I don't think he, he really meant for it to also capture something else. 
besides the JRPG. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a long time D&D player. You know, I own a couple of the Blackmore. So, you know, I, I know that D&D from first edition all the way up. And he captured that, that nostalgia of going in the case of chaos <laughs> that most people have and the classic archetype. And we've had people, this is a board game. We've had people go, I've role played more in this game than I have in the last five years of my role playing group. <laughs> so people tell stories when they play this game. It, 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 it's, it's a game and you know, there's all that and it's JRPG, but it, it, it definitely lends with, with how it's been designed for you just to get in and have a good time. Awesome. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I do have the uh, pocket edition here, actually sitting right next to me uh, at the moment. Finally, <laughs> sorry about that. Somebody in Texas is very happy, though. Someone in Texas has no clue who we are, but they're they're happy for the game. Yeah, they they love you guys now. Or uh, somebody got an early Christmas present. So yeah, there there was unfortunately a little bit of mix up, and I had to reach out and go. Uh, Am I still reviewing this? <laughs> so unfortunately. Um, Timing is a little goofy, but uh, I'm, I'm telling you, I've got, like I said, I've got some people coming over this weekend. Some of it is, uh, consulting type stuff. Some of it is us trying to get in what we have to review, uh, that is still on our calendar right now. So I've got a, a mix of people that'll hopefully be in, in and out the door this weekend. And my objective is to get this on the table as well. So I can shoot that initial impressions video for you guys. That is my hope. I, I'm not going to promise it, but that is definitely, uh, it's, it's on my to-do list for this weekend. So I, I fingers crossed. I'm going to get that done for you guys this weekend. <laughs> we appreciate making it on the to-do list. <laughs> so now I'm going to do this. Ready? Super Turbo Bitcrawl FX Alpha Extreme is on Kickstarter right now. It goes until September 13, 2014. It is originally looking for $5,000. Fully funded. Well over $6,000 right now onto wonderful stretch goals. Definitely go check it out if this is something that sounds interesting to you from listening to this. Like I said, hopefully I'll have an initial video, initial impressions video up soon. You can check that out as well. See some of the bits from the pocket edition. Uh, but definitely go check it out because this has been an awesome time talking with Sean and Tyler and just having a good time. These guys have been great sports. And, uh, like you said, if you are a lover of JRPGs and, uh, you want to get into a customizable dungeon crawl and not require a DM to be at the table while you do it, hey, Maybe this is something you want to go check out and back. You have, again, until September 13th, 2014. All right, Sean, Tyler, thank you guys for hanging out with me tonight, man. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's been great. This has been a blast. I'm glad you guys came on. All right, so as always... We will have more interviews. Uh, there'll be more of the main podcast. We'll have more interviews coming up. And, uh, the one thing I know, uh, several people have been looking forward to, the draft picks are coming back here very shortly. Uh, Sarah and I are supposed to record next week. So hopefully we will have the game of crowdfunding draft picks back. Uh, and she will continue to kick my butt. So until then. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This podcast is a proud member of the GeekCast Network. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other podcasts with a geek culture slant, head over to geekcastnetwork.com, where you will find podcasts such as Royal Monster Battalion, where two geeks share their love of monster movies and have a few laughs along the way.